The only unfortunate thing is I think the banter between you guys earlier did not get captured, but... There is way, way more banter with that camera. That was like a hundred years of Canadians right here. There's got to be something Is it, is it recording now, though? No, now you guys are good. You guys are good now. Okay. I'm checking. It's recording. It's going. The discard button is active, which means we are recording. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode. We really appreciate you joining us. This podcast really shows us how we can all learn, live, and thrive off of each other. By sharing our knowledge through our conversations, we will impart some knowledge whilst learning ourselves how to progress even further. Here is your host. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today, I'm in conversation with Dylan Mulcahy and Mitchell Koss. Dylan Mulcahy is a final year mechatronics engineering student from McMaster, graduating in April 2020. He's a former varsity rugby athlete and has had two separate co-op terms in the US and Switzerland. Before moving to Switzerland, Dylan got in touch with Mitchell through a mutual friend via LinkedIn and reached out to him for career advice. Dylan credits much of his success in his career so far to Mitch, who's been a constant pillar of support ever since. Mitchell is the McMaster BTEC Automotive and Vehicle Engineering Technology alumni, currently working as an Equipment Engineering Supervisor at Tesla, in the heart of Silicon Valley where he's worked on various car projects, and most significantly the highly publicized Model 3 launch. Along with this, he's paved the way through multiple initiatives at providing professional networking opportunities and co-op pathways for McMaster students into Silicon Valley. He's also completing his MBA at Cal State Monterey Bay and has plans of pursuing his PhD if life accommodates for it. Along with being a chartered manager, certified manager, certified scum professional, pilot, PADI rescue diver, CSIA ski pro, and business mentor for The Forge at McMaster, a startup incubator located on campus where he's supporting four companies in scaling their ventures. He was also a second round long listed candidate for the 2016 CSIA astronaut recruitment campaign. He's most recently been spending his spare time playing hockey in the SIAHL in San Jose, California and devoting time to yoga and mentoring over 14 young adults around the world between high school and university levels on career development and motivation. He has hopes of receiving his pilot slot for the Royal Canadian Air Force while aiming to be a CF-18 Hornet pilot in the near future. He credits much of his thanks to modern surgical techniques, his life mentors and patients for giving him the chance to pursue his dream. It's these mentors and friends that he's met along the path of life that he credits, who've encouraged him to dive so deeply into his own mentorship endeavors of both business owners, young professionals, and adults with the mantra of inspiring change in others to change the world. He has helped countless individuals to find their path in professional and personal life choices, along with various business owners to find new and creative ways to position this startup or a new product idea into fruition while always inspiring others to chase their dreams tactically and give back to the community however possible. Enjoy the podcast. Yeah, so Mitchell, please tell us about yourself. Uh, sure. So first of all, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, it's good to be back in the cold Canada <laughs> world. Uh, it's uh, great to be back at my alma mater school and being here at a weird time of the day to talk to you guys. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I... I Dylan, who's who's with us in the in the studio now, is is one of my my mentees, if you will. I guess he's kind of my friend now, and uh, we we had a chance to kind of catch up, and I had a chance to hear him on your on your podcast, and I thought it was was a really well done uh, production, and and I kind of said to Dylan, hey, a lot of people 
you know, want, have been asking me to be on a podcast to talk about, you know, whatever there there is to talk about. Uh, so I figured it'd be a good time to come on and, and chat with you guys. You're but, welcome. Uh, yeah, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. What do you What do you want to know about about me and do you, Mac? Do you mind if I sort of jump in here and yeah, and uh, give a little bit of a backstory for the listeners? Sure. So about uh, sixteen months ago now, yeah, uh, maybe, yeah, about sixteen months ago now, coming up on two years, uh, I was offered a position in uh, Zurich, Switzerland, to go over and work in a in a really cool, innovative drone drone company, um, and. When I was moving over there, I kind of reached out to you, Mitch, and I and I didn't really have an idea of what I was doing. Um, and I kind of want to say thank you because you you really reached back out when I reached out through a LinkedIn message uh, without really asking for anything in return. And over the last sixteen months, you've been an invaluable resource for me. Um, You're welcome. And it's it's <laughs> it's really like it's. It's it's really nice to get a chance to finally meet you because yeah. this is the first day we've actually met in person and uh, yeah you've just been such a, a rock for well, the last one one of the hardest things that I that that I have is is a lot of the people that that I mentor are are not in the same city as me so one of the things that a lot of people ask me is you know how how do you how do you reach out to to so many people we Dylan and I were actually talking about this earlier is how do you you know, how do you network and how do you, how do you meet people? How do you, mm-hmm. how do you stay in touch with people? And I, I think that we live in a world now where, you know, digital communication is, is, is so easy and I actually, I enjoy it. It, it. We're all, we all live these crazy busy lives that it's, it's not hard to, you know, pick up a phone and, and say, Hey, do you have 10 minutes to talk? Do you have, you know, I have a question. And I think for a lot of people, Dylan is one of the example of people that said, Hey, you know, I, I'm like freaking out about something. I, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, there's something at work that's going on and yeah, I, I just need someone to, to, to hear me out. And I think mm-hmm. that's something that I've loved about, uh, having that mentorship relationship mm-hmm. that it's much easier for people to just accept that they need help on something. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's why I do it. It's, it's so easy for, for, for me to have that conversation with people. And I think it's easy for people to just pick up the phone and say, Hey, I, I just need to pick your brain on something. And I, I think that's why, you know, Dylan's kind of stuck around mm-hmm. as a, as a mentee for me. So I'm mm-hmm. glad that's helped you. What made you, uh, cause I know there are probably a lot of people reaching out to you. Are they? Is it because I know? I, I would say that there's my, my, yeah, my, my social media LinkedIn profile is an absolute black hole people reach out to me and i i you know i i it's hard i i can't keep up with it i i have to like turn my phone off or delete the app sometimes because mm-hmm. i just get so many requests for information and, and I, I don't mean that in a you know mm-hmm. self-gloating way or anything it's mm-hmm. it's just that naturally a lot of people want advice on something and it's very hard to keep up with for sure right so today you guys met for the first time right Yes. Yeah. And I did not know that, by the way, because <laughs> when Dylan told me that let's do a podcast with me and my mentor, I'm like, OK, I probably assumed that you guys know each other. Like you Got guys have met each other a couple of times. Yeah. Right? And then yeah. Dylan drops his bomb. He's like, hey, I've never met him before. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> and yeah. so it's it's interesting. And so did you. So with all these requests you get, what made you pick Dylan? Do you, do you always have these? Do you always have these criteria to pick people or is it just like. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's a criteria. OK. Uh, Actually, Dylan and I were just we're, we're talking about this earlier as well. Is that when I look at the initial kind of pitch that people reach out to me about, you know, whether it's hey, I, I have some questions about X, or I have a question about where you work, or I'm looking for a job, or I'm 
lost in my career search. A lot of the time, I I try to see how people tailor that message and I try to see how personalized it is. Mm -hmm. You know, did someone actually kind of look into your background? Do they do they really know who I am or was it, you know, did they get a referral? You know, that that totally could could put you at the top of the list and say, hey, you know, he knows so and so and that person's awesome. And and I I use referrals an extension of, of people's personality and their professional image. So it all depends on how people kind of tailor that initial reach out to me. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I, I a lot of it I, I kind of think is luck. A lot of it is when that preparation and opportunity kind of come together. And I try to give everybody the fairest chance. And I, I get back to those that I can in the time that I have. And mm-hmm. the ones that stick around are the ones that, you know, acknowledge that they want some information, whatever that might be. And, you know, the ones that write it down and the ones that come back to me and say, hey, I, I did some action on those things that you told me to, to look into or, or try to do. And I got X result from it. And those are the ones that to me, I like to keep around because those show me that they are actually actionable people Mm -hmm. and actionable people generally want to change where they're at, whether it's something in their life needs to be changed or something they need to learn from. And they've got something from that. And so when they go ahead and take something from that and do something, whether that result is good, bad, you know, ugly, poor, Mm -hmm. whatever it might be, when they come back, they have that much more to talk about. And that's how you start the relationship Mm -hmm. and so I think for Dylan Dylan was very clear and open with you know I'm here in this position I'm you know dealing with these things at work and I have questions about you know I'm not sure what I want to do now that I'm at this awesome job how do I go about starting I know I I think Dylan could speak more to that but I think that's that's kind of what started that whole conversation wait Dylan how did you find him in the first place that's the biggest question uh Mitch Uh, yeah yeah. yeah, basically I I heard about you through, uh, do you know Jesse? Yeah. In the yeah I Jesse Sohoda. Yeah, in uh, the co-op office, like a year before I'd even like right. reached, reached out. out at all, um, and it was just a LinkedIn message, just a simple, "Hey, I'm leaving tomorrow on a flight. If you <laughs> have any time before then, like I'd love to chat." And then for yeah, eight months of the relationship, it was like a nine-hour time difference between us, mm-hmm. and we yeah. kind of. And how long did it take to reply? I'm very curious. <laughs> I, I honestly don't remember. <laughs> it was probably pretty quick. Yeah. If I if I respond right. to you, I actually tell people this. If I respond to you, I'm actually available. Mm-hmm. So like a lot of people ask me, like, do you do you you know, do you put the read receipt on your mm-hmm. on your phone so people know when you read their message? I'm like, no, because if it it wouldn't change anything. If you knew and I read your message and I didn't respond to you, then I'm actually just not worth your time. Mm-hmm. It'd be easier for me to just respond when I can. And yeah. that's usually like my family knows when I, or my closest friends, when I text them back, it's actually when I get to it because mm-hmm. at some point I, I have to sift through all the information or text mm-hmm. messages I yeah. have. And actually when I respond quickly is, is the easiest way. How would you guys feel when you message people and they see, and you see they have seen it and then do you guys get like, you guys get butthurt by that? Or is it like just, um, cause I, cause I, when I see people, when I message people, cause I have messages, I always cold call people right. on LinkedIn on Okay, yeah, you know what? I'm coming off as a creep, but it's fine. <laughs> it's um, yeah. When I cold call people, I always see their their read receipts, right. and you know they don't. Um, I, I don't feel bad because I'm used to it. Because I yeah. I understand they have probably so many people connections, and there are always people reaching out to them. So now I'm I'm putting you on the like you know, on in the spot where you guys when you guys message people, you guys get affect like you guys get offended if they don't respond to you. Like how, what do you guys think? 
Go ahead, Dylan. Not really, no. Um, Because I know that when when you're approaching somebody that might be a couple steps ahead of you, that if they don't respond back to you, it's it's probably because it's not them being mean. It's it's you not providing the amount of value that makes it worth their time. If that right. makes sense. Okay. Like you you really want to make sure that when you're in a mentor mentee relationship, um, that you're that you're not wasting their time. That's the biggest thing, and you want to make sure that you're giving as much value because it's a two way street when you're in a mentee mentor relationship. Right. You don't mm-hmm. want to just have it that you're taking and sucking all the energy away from them mm-hmm. and pestering. Um, you want to make sure you're prepared. And whenever we've gone into a conversation, uh, Mitch, it's there's always been a lot of deliberate thought put into that conversation beforehand. It's like. I know we're gonna be talking for X amount of time. I want to maximize as much as I can and not have you devote time to something that you don't have any value in, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think that appreciation for potential mentors or your current mentor's time is something that is very important. Uh, I, I mean, I, I've had mentor mentors in my life that have become you know, some of my best friends. Mm-hmm. And at that point it's different. It's like, you know, you're hanging out with another friend that, you know, yeah. you just kind of talk about whatever with for the ones that are truly like that mentor mentee relationship. I think the, the appreciation that, you know, you're, someone's taking time out of their day, whether it's with their family, with their dog, with, you know, their work, with their extracurriculars, those are all appreciation for the time value of time is something that I think a good mentee mentor relationship is, is, is built upon, right? Is, mm-hmm. I mean, we were in here talking for however long it might be, but when you're, you know, on the cell phone and you're, you're just kind of chatting about whatever. And like Dylan said, there's a nine hour time difference. It can be very hard to, you know, stay cognitively engaged for mm-hmm. that whole conversation. So I, I always tell people, you know, don't worry about the time that I'm taking. If I, if I've scheduled time, I've, I've made time for you. There, mm-hmm. There's really no, nothing else to say about it. Right. But I, you know, I've always recommended to people write things down or make notes because it's easy when you can't, when you can re record or re replay, replay something. Right. Mm-hmm. And you can listen to those cues and those, that information again. But when you can't, it's, it's not like a conversation you have with someone, you know, going out for coffee, you know, because you can just say, well, you know, what did you mean by that? Or what do you think? But when the real development comes, when that phone call ends, when you have to, you know, take something away from that and say, okay, that was a great conversation, but now I actually have to do something. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. is the key point. There's definitely a difference between, getting fired up like there have been so many conversations we've had and I've and I've gone with problems and my perspective has just changed but it's really easy just to to be there and feel amped up after a, a productive conversation but that's not where it's where it ends it, it's it's really where it begins and you have to actually take that information and apply it that's where the real power of a mentor mentee relationship comes in yeah I, I would say that 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 was that was a good point like the the ability to I don't know. I, I sometimes look at things differently. Uh, so, so it's great when, when my, one of my mentees or, you know, friends, it doesn't even have to, we don't have even have to say the discussion just about mentor mentees. When I have friends or people that want advice on something, whether it's something trivial or something very, very life threatening or important, I think being able to understand and cognitively assess that is, is something that I like to do for people because if everybody had a second approach to looking at something, you might make the better assessment. 
and then you might end up actually making a better decision. So I think that's a good point that, that Dylan's kind of making mm-hmm. is being able to have someone that you can go to for advice and then, then you know, whether you like it or not, it mm-hmm. is turn that, that opinion or that original issue around 180 degrees and you say, oh, I never thought of things that way. You also have to be open to that. And mm-hmm. I think that's something that a good, you know, relationship with anybody uh, should be, you know, that you have that relationship to be able to talk about whatever that might be, but then mm-hmm. say, hey, you know, you bring up a good point. I never thought about that. I'm going to try to do that. Mm-hmm. But then that key point is that feedback loop, right? Is that mm-hmm. you actually go and do something about it. Right. And that's ultimately what we build trust about, right? And teams and relationships with people. That's really ultimately what it comes down mm-hmm. to. Would you say not being too emotional in these relationships? Like, you know, not, not being too affected by what someone does you don't like because you just have to accept, you know, like it's just it's just that way. Would you, would you, would you agree? Um, I think... That one depends on the situation. I mean, a good relationship with anybody, let alone a good mentor-mentee relationship, I think has to have a personal part to it. There there needs to be more than just, I'm leveraging you for advice. There needs to be more than just, you know, you're, you're a guy that I love to talk to, but it's really because I just want a job. And I think that that's those that back to your original question of, you know, who do I choose to keep around? I mean, it's not really who do I choose? It's it's does that person want to stick around? And that person has to decide for themselves what they get out of, mm-hmm. you know, my information or whoever's information they're coming from. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, understanding someone from a personal aspect is something that also trust is built on. So mm-hmm. you have to have that trust piece. And the only thing other than, you know, kind of meeting someone and doing things with someone is talking about things mm-hmm. that might be hard to talk about. So, I, you know, Dylan might be able to speak to more to that, but that's, that ultimately is kind of what makes us human. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Cause I, I, I asked this because, um, cause you know, it's easy for in a mentor mentee relationship that, you know, when the, str- the stronger the bond gets, uh, the mentee starts looking after the mentor and then, you know, certain times the mentee wouldn't be happy with what a mentor's right. done and then you'd be and then you'd get emotional about it and you because you look up to someone so much and then you they pull something off that you never you know imagined and then right yeah so is that, that's why i ask that because I, I i tend to get emotionally attached to things very quickly right and that's one thing i've i'm trying to um work on and because i know it's going to definitely benefit benefit me in my personal and my professional life so yeah that's why that's one reason i mean i don't think it's bad to be emotionally attached mm-hmm. to things i mm-hmm. mean i mean that's again what makes us human right that's what mm-hmm. separates us from animals and, mm-hmm. and the things and that we you know we, we go on our phones like that's not anything right so being emotionally attached to things is what makes you human so mm-hmm. it should never be something that separates you from something you want to work on or not i think what people need to do more of is know when to show their emotional attachment to things. Mm -hmm. So you can have your own dispositions or your feelings or, you know, your attachment to things, but know who and when and why you're saying something, you know, like, well, I, I feel strongly about this. Okay. Well, you feel strongly about it. Do you have facts for it? Do you have a reason why you feel so bad about it? I think people, and again, might people might think I'm wrong, but you have to know when to leverage emotional attachment. And I think it depends on who you're working with, who you're talking with, who you have a relationship with. These things are all, again, back to the whole thing, what makes us human. And I think mm-hmm. that's how we choose, you know, who we want to continue hanging out with or talk to. I, I don't think it's bad to feel strongly about stuff. I think we have to as human beings, you know, but those things also you have to keep those in check. You have to make sure that those things don't rationally make you 
do something you didn't want to, right? Yeah, I, I think there's a delicate balance to be struck in any relationship, mentor, mentee, friendship, anything. Mm-hmm. Like you, you obviously don't want to wear your heart on your sleeve all the time and right. say, I have this problem, I have this problem, blah, 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 blah. But I think if you if you don't at some point open up to the other person and you break down the sort of professional walls, right. then it's going to stunt the growth. And mm-hmm. without that, it, it dies, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. so. would totally agree. Okay. Like, have you have you had any, um, I, I'm being completely candid with this, like, have you yeah. had any situations where, you know, you, you, th- you didn't like certain parts, like the way certain things are going and you wanted to confront Mitch about it or even you wanted to confront Mitch, like you wanted to confront Dylan about it. Has there been uh, any cases like this or... Not really on on my end. Um, no, I, I mean yeah. Dylan kind of tells me what's what's going on in his his life and his personal things, and I mean we kind of just deal with him and mm-hmm. and, yeah. and talk about him. Yeah. Perfect couple. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's I mean that, I mean really that's what a mentee mentor relationship mm-hmm. should be, right? It should be someone that you look up to or someone that you think you know I want to have that brotherly or sisterly bond, however mm-hmm. however it's looked at, and as long as you guys enjoy talking about whatever it is that you talk about. I think that's, you know, part of your professional image and your Mm -hmm. personal image. That's Mm -hmm. what makes us people. And that's what Mm -hmm. makes us good, good, smart individuals is you gotta, I mean, we were talking about this earlier that we can learn everything we can from our mothers and fathers, but we all need, and I believe that we all need some mentors in our life. Right. And I don't mean, you know, yes, academic mentors exist because we go to an educational system that allows us to kind of use those. But I mean, just being someone that's might be a couple of years older than you or, or, you know, doing something that you want to do is mm-hmm. all it takes. And so this, this entire show, everything is geared towards students in their earlier years of university right. and they're going through, um, they might be facing challenges. They don't have any experience. They don't have anything to offer. What would you say is, an effective strategy like nuts and bolts of a first year, second year, third year, or possibly a new grad that's coming out of school to find somebody that they just click with and is, is would be an effective mentor for them. And how do they figure out who wouldn't be an effect, effective mentor for them? So I think that's a loaded question. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, first, the first part of that, uh, f- let's, let's, we'll, we'll, we'll break it down this way. We'll, we'll say, yeah, we'll, we'll break it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> taking the engineering approach. Yeah. So the uh, first case would be, you know, people that are new, new, new students. Mm-hmm. So they're first year, second year, third year. I would say that, first of all, if you're in first and second year and you're already looking for a mentor, you're ahead of the game. I think if you, a lot of people say you should know what you're doing in high school to go to choose no, university. Yeah. I, I would say most people have no clue. I mean, there's there's a very small population that knows out the door they're going to be a doctor, they're going to be a pilot, they're going to be you know a symphony orchestra. Mm-hmm. It, it, it doesn't it doesn't matter. And 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 the when you're in first and second year, a lot of it is you're figuring out who you are. You're you're kind of going through a second puberty, if you will. Right. <laughs> you're you're trying to figure out what kind of friends you want to hang out with, who do you want to identify yourself with? It's, it's, I've just erased everything from high school. I want to have a new image and and whatever that might be. Right. And so finding a mentor can be hard. I think early on in, in university because you're 
kind of doing that whole puberty thing. You're kind of trying to figure out what you're doing. Do you like the courses you're in? You know, you're crying about your first failed grade. It, it, it's, it's a lot of stuff going on at the time. I think for the people that are doing that right now that are looking for a mentor is kind of, Vishal, you were talking about emotional attachment. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a perfect time for you to say, do I need someone that could just be someone to listen to? And so when I was in second year of university, I was a, a community advisor on campus. So I lived in, in residence and I, another, basically a building of, of six of us. And, and we were the community advisors. We were like the parents of, of the building. And so there were two of us on a floor and we had just a floor of basically kids. And they, we, we were literally just older students, just making sure they weren't doing anything stupid or making sure they were making smart decisions and that they had someone older to look up to. And those students that came to me, some of them became good friends. Some of them, we were just acquaintances, but the ones that needed the mentorship were the ones that showed up to my room at 1130 at night crying because they had failed a midterm or they just had no idea what they were doing with their lives. Like life science isn't for me or, you know, what, what am I doing with an arts degree? And And did you answer the door every time? Every single time. Wow. Wow. I mean, I had an open door policy, so (laughs) I kind of had to, but you know, no, I, and I didn't do it because I had to, I mean, I I wanted to, I mean, these, I wish I had that, you know, at all times of the day, you know? And so I think for me, I tried to use that as a, you know, I I want to help people whenever they can, Mm -hmm. you know? So, so as long as it accommodates, you know, I'm not, you know, if anybody needs help, that's what I'm here for. I think that, that period of your post, like your, your your post-secondary life is, is so, so crazy. It's, it's, you're, you're trying to do the school thing. You're trying to, you know, figure out your study schedule. You're you're trying to just do everything at once. There's so many things. So that, that's a hard one because you really got to self-identify and self-emotionally attach if we Mm want to talk about what we said before. But I think going forward from that, like third and fourth year, you kind of know, maybe you've done a co-op, maybe you've had a steady relationship with someone, maybe you've done a job on campus. And so I think third and fourth year, you start thinking about, and feel free to jump in here any anytime, guys. But mm-hmm. so, sorry, you're saying it's too early in first and second? I, I wouldn't say it's too early. I, th- I think it's a good time to acknowledge maybe you need that I don't want to say father figure, but mm-hmm. that, that whole like well, brother, sister, father yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but that whole, like, I need yeah. just some guidance mm-hmm. and that guidance could be probably best utilized from other than your parents. I'll always say your parents, the best, best, bestest friends you'll ever have. Mm-hmm. And I think it's looking for the ones closest to you. So when I mean by close, I mean like radius. I mean, mm-hmm. the ones that are around you, the ones going through the struggle with you, those are the mentors you want at that time because you are going through stuff that, Maybe a guy that's even three, a guy or girl that's three or four years older than you may have some, you know, inhibition about what you're going through or an idea, but they may not know exactly what mm-hmm. you're going through. So I think the first takeaway would be finding the mentors in your community. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good takeaway, right? Yeah. So, so find the, find the mentors in your, your surrounding community. Mm-hmm. Do you think age plays a big role? Cause when I think of a mentor, I always think of my mentor as being older, like way older than me. Right. Do you think I should be looking up to people who are like, you know, people, like, what am I saying? They will, should I be looking up to people who are way younger than me? Like, what do you think? No, I think, I think the short answer is no. I think that age is just a number. <laughs> it's, right. uh, it really, it really is. Uh, I think Vishal, the, the, the right answer to that is there's no right answer to age. Right. There is just maturity, professionalism, and preparedness. And so people have to 
evaluate just like, you know, oh, I want that guy to be my mentor or I'd like to know about them. The, the only thing that comes down to it is everybody matures at a, at a different level, you know, in cadence to their age. Right. And right. so I think I've, I've met people as mentors and I've I still have a lot of mentors that are older than me. And I actually currently don't have anybody that's younger than me that I kind of look up to. You know, and, and I think that, you know, if someone wants to try and do that, absolutely, I'd love to meet them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I never qualify a potential mentorship based off age. I, I, I really don't care. I don't mm-hmm. care if you're 25, 35, 104. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. It's it's what is what is this person interesting for and why do I naturally want to know about them mm-hmm. and what can I learn from them, right? And, and there's also a point of that that there are people we meet that never had an intention of being a mentor. They just kind of become them mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so that subconscious context of you know is there an age for mentorship it's totally not it mm-hmm. just happens mm-hmm. and and with the the third and fourth year students there is sort of more on their feet now what what do they have to do nuts and bolts to to uh, get to, to start looking at those relationships i think that at that point you've probably you know, had maybe, maybe you have some experience, maybe, you know, let's say you, you did a co-op job or you, you did some kind of on-campus job that gave you some skills and maybe you had no skills. And so you're like, oh, I want, you know, I'm, I'm finishing up engineering. And, and a lot, I had a lot of friends that were doing this, right? I, I had mm-hmm. friends in third and fourth year that had finished their first co-op and they had said, Mitchell, I loved it. You know, I, I, I want to know more about that. Do you know anybody? Or dude, I hated that. I never want to work in that industry again. How do I find another industry to work in? Mm-hmm. And so I think those open up a lot of good questions and, and, and there's not a right answer. There's no formula to this. So, mm-hmm. you know, for us here and for anybody listening, there's no formula to That's this. It, it's, 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 it's totally verbatim. It, yeah. it just happens. And so I think that for, for finding the right mentor, you, you have to find, let, let's use an analogy of you walking into chapters or, you know, in the States we have Barnes and Nobles mm-hmm. is when you go into a chapters and let's say, you have, you know, most people have an idea of where they're going to go first. Maybe they go to the magazine section. If they go to the magazine section, do they go to the science? Do they go to the tech? Do they go to photography? Do they go to fishing, you know, or do they go to the hunting section, yeah. right? If you walk into the chapters and you go straight to fiction, right? Those, those are all things that keep us as people interested in things. And I think those is, that's the first key. You have to have the connection from some context there's whether that person's in the industry you're in because naturally that's an easy one to go to let's so that's starting easy so finding people that are doing currently what you're doing that's like number one number two would be a mentor as you're getting again third and fourth year maybe even a new grad at this point is someone that isn't kind of doing what you're doing but they just have a lot of information on something so maybe this is I don't know, someone that you know through a family friend or someone's introduced you to someone and, you know, they're in a completely different industry. Those are to me what I've, that have turned out to be the best mentors. And, and those, those conversations have started just by saying, hello, you know, what's your story? Yeah. You know, we talked about that whole non-elevator pitch, elevator pitch, (laughs) which is kind of like a pitch to yourself or to someone you want to meet. But the intention is not to be an elevator pitch. So this mm-hmm. would be something like, you know, what's your, you know, what are you doing here? What, what brought you here? What's your story? And that immediately starts that conversation. The third, the third person, that's number two. The third mm-hmm. one would be the one that you n- had no idea would come out of somewhere. So this might be kind of like us. We just 
ran into someone that was a mutual connection and Vishal was like, yeah, I do podcasts. Cool. Mm -hmm. Let's do a podcast. And so whether that turns into a mentorship or not, it, who knows, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's how you, how you, uh, groom that relationship and i think that for the third and fourth year you know you're you're getting close to finishing school you're maybe have some idea of what you'd like to do uh, but you need someone to kind of say hey that's not something you want to think about so you can look in your faculty there's people in fourth year there's alumni there's mm-hmm. there's people that you can reach out to and there's resources for that and and finding someone that you just just reach out like just find out who they are what do they do how did you like your time at mac hey i'm i noticed you work at so and so do you like that mm-hmm. you know and that, and that just get the conversation started i think we live in a time where people can't have conversations anymore for some reason and that's all it takes is just be a nice person ask some questions and you never know where that conversation could go i mean the power mm-hmm. of networking nowadays is is, is unbelievable mm-hmm. right? so easy now it's just people just reaching out to you on linkedin on facebook on twitter is just crazy because i've seen people there are ways people are coming out with ways on they're putting out on instagram on how to effectively reach out to people on linkedin and there's so many it's just it's just so easy now mm-hmm. to reach out to different kinds of people um but yeah because what i was thinking about when you talk when it, based on your second point was, uh, have you guys heard of Ray Dalio? Yes. Yeah. So when he wrote a great was, book called principles, principles. Oh, yeah. I'm still not finished. There's 600, <laughs> 700 pages. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm on, I don't know. I'm on work principles now. It's just, but anyway, he talks about believe a uh, believability and he right. talks about how a uh, believable a person can be. Right. And that's how you, that's how you look up to them. So that kind of, when, we, when you're talking about that, that kind of like reminded me of, you know, and, when he, he runs his company, um, his hedge fund based on an idea of meritocracy right. where a person gets more, where it's not a democracy, you mm-hmm. know, like it's not the, like, oh, everyone votes for an idea and that gets passed on. It's right. the person with the most experience. They've had at least, they've had at least three scenarios where they've been successful and that's how, you know, you actually credit their idea to, uh, to them. So I think that's, I think that, that's pretty, pretty I mean, that's basically on. that we can sum up as as our second takeaway is is literally just find the people that talk the talk and walk the walk, mm-hmm. right? It's it's easy to find people that can talk about anything, but what it comes down to is the people that you want to keep talking to and the ones that you want to you know grab a drink with after you know conversation is the ones actually doing it. You know, the ones that can give you advice on whatever it might be. It doesn't have to be financial success. It doesn't have to be career success. It doesn't have to be relationship success, right? It could be anything. It's the people that are actually doing what they say, whether that's, are they taking their own advice that they give? And I think that would be the best way I could sum that up. So true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's all about action now. You no, it, it 100% is. Yeah. It, there's, there's too many, we, we live in a world where there's too many platforms where you can totally do whatever you want and mm-hmm. it'll always come back. It'll always come back. I, I'm a true believer in, in that like whole karma effect. Mm-hmm. And I think that life will naturally take its, 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 its pause. And, mm-hmm. and I think that the only thing that you owe the world is to just be genuine. And that's a very hard thing for a lot of people to hear because again, we live in a world where you can be whatever you want mm-hmm. and it's great. It's a great thing. It's, mm-hmm. it's awesome. It's, it's, it's awesome to be, for us to be able to live in a world and, and at least where we're privileged enough to have the opportunity to pursue the education we want or pursue the means of anything that we want so long as we can, you know, afford it, you know, and it's, you know, it's legal. Mm-hmm. But but we also need help from people. And the only people we really can get help from other than our parents is people out there doing what we think is cool and, and, and awesome. And the people that are actually the ones willing to take the time to give you some insight on it because they're also doing it themselves. 
that's awesome. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's really like, like, like Dylan said, that's, that's actionable feedback. Actionable feedback is something so hard to find mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. And it's, it's also, it's, it's, it, it relieves me when, you know, when I'm looking after someone, they've done so much, you know, they're, there's a, tr- they have certain, they have a certain track record. Like, yeah. oh, it proves like, you know, like whatever he's saying, whatever advice he's giving me, it makes sense because he's done this. Mm-hmm. Right? right. Yeah. And so what was your experience when you were starting out in your career? Um, how did you use LinkedIn or any other social media platforms effectively? I will, I, th- I believe I got LinkedIn and I want to say like second year of university. So, mm-hmm. so in the, mm-hmm. in the, in the BTEC program, we have a, uh, we, we used to have a course called two PW three, which was a workplace professional workplace practices course. Mm-hmm. It's like one EEO. Yeah. Some, some long nomenclature now. And <laughs> n- it, it was basically a course that for those that had never had a real job before university or, you know, it, it was to, to give them some insight on how human resource practices work, how, how to draft a real memo, how to mm-hmm. put an Excel file together and then put some report together. And it was, it was kind of about that, how to write a resume, how to do an interview, how to present yourself as a professional person, how to tailor a job application. So I, I kind of had it at that point, and, and I think I may have even had it before that class because I had heard about this buzz of mm-hmm. LinkedIn. And the thing that sold me on LinkedIn, the thing why I still keep it is because it's a way for you to just kind of conclavitate, that's a big word, all of the things that you've done. And that's what I tell people. LinkedIn should not just be a Facebook for your professional life Mm -hmm. because too many people look at it like that. What it should be is for you to be able to say, if I can't fit it on my resume, look at my profile. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a MySpace for professionals. I'm probably dating myself here, but like MySpace was such the thing, right? And so if you think of it that rather than it's a Facebook for for professionals, you'll start realizing that it's more of like a really cool CV. Mm-hmm. It's really your what? Who are you? Like it's a really who are you without having to hand someone a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got a little profile picture. You've got a cover photo now. And back in the day, they didn't have that. So I used it as an extension of my resume. That's how I looked at LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Was it was a way that I could c- collaborate my thoughts, and it actually really helped with my resume writing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really was a good way for me to say what school projects have I worked on, what jobs have I had, what. What interests do I have? What companies do I follow? And mm-hmm. these are the things that will then kind of make an image of who you are as a professional. And you can pull those things. I've had people say to me, how do I make a good resume? And I say, what does your LinkedIn profile look like? And they go, oh, I don't have one. I say, well, LinkedIn forces you to literally make a resume. Mm-hmm. Start there. Mm-hmm. Literally make a profile of who you are and then just put that on paper. It's a good starting point for anyone who wants to make a resume for the first time. I think definitely LinkedIn is definitely, I mean, the way, the, as the years are going by, LinkedIn's proving to be a great resource for a lot of professionals. And I should get paid by LinkedIn for this, for <laughs> saying all this stuff because it's, you know, it's, I mean, they're doing a great job so far, so. Yeah, yeah. no, they're, they're, they, I think it's definitely a, a good platform if it's used mm. correctly. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I started on LinkedIn and, and you know, I, that the first thing I did was, I guess maybe even back to our original conversation about, mm-hmm. you know, mentorship. Like mm-hmm. I, I just reached out to people I knew in my, immediately. I didn't immediately start going and finding, Hey, does I, I need to find someone that works in engineering? Yeah. I, I mean, I had no idea in first and second year what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm in a program. It's going to give me some transferable skills. <laughs> I might get a job from it. I don't know 
after that, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's a good starting place. I, I added people I knew and had someone I knew through, you know, a parent or whoever it might be. And that's kind of what I, what I started with. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm kind of biased in this conversation yeah. here because I just recently deleted my LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of wondering here, do you think in the modern age you can get by without a LinkedIn and without the social media, um, kind of, uh, tools in order to meet people and connect and do other things like that? Like, is it an, an essential service right now? I don't think it's essential. I think, I think to answer your first question, yes, yeah. absolutely. You can get away. I mean, people have been doing it before LinkedIn was around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what, like, I, like, job before LinkedIn, no, I, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the easiest way to put it. So yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, we've, we've established levels of government and we've, we've created, we've put man on the Self-organized, moon. Self-organized, yeah. we put man on the moon without LinkedIn, right? So does it make things easier mm-hmm. for some people? Yeah. Does it solve problems for some people? Does it, contribute to society in some way that just meeting people organically and having a resume would Mm -hmm. maybe not as good as the equivalent. So it's contextual. Yeah. I I think it's like I said, I think it totally depends on how you use it. Mm -hmm. If you use it correctly, it can help you do something. Mm -hmm. And so that I think what you are doing is totally contextual to what you want to do. Does it, is it wrong? It doesn't matter because nobody cares. It doesn't matter. You, You could still get a job without it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the whole, the whole thing we're talking about here is that who you meet could turn into a next opportunity, mm-hmm. next best friend, next spouse, next friend, next yeah. business partner. It could be anything. And mm-hmm. I think you don't need LinkedIn for that. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's, that's a big misconception. I think a lot of people say you need to have LinkedIn. Sure. You might be crazy if you don't have LinkedIn, if you want to work in sales, yeah. but people have been selling stuff to people without LinkedIn forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, people were selling stuff at, back in back in the day. Caveman. Like, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's like bartering systems is something that like, I mean, we built a game off. It, it was called Settlers of Catan. It was mm-hmm. literally about negotiating. Mm-hmm. And if you could be a good negotiator, I, I've, I've been beaten so badly at Settlers of Catan. Like if you <laughs> really? have not played Settlers My of Catan. My brother is a fiend. And yeah. I just sit I've there after played. four yeah. rounds and I'm like, I, I don't want to play that, anymore. That is, <laughs> I mean, think about it. That, that we did all of this without LinkedIn. Yeah. I think that, you know, I think Dylan brings up a very good point is that can we live in a world without these things? I, I think so. Because I think that we get to a point where we humans are very good at abusing things. Mm-hmm. And, and, and by abusing things, I mean overusing <laughs> things and tools that really we don't need. Mm-hmm. And, and we're all guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. We're all guilty of it in this room. And I think acknowledging it is a good adult thing to do. Take mm-hmm. a break from it and yeah. see how self-sufficient you can actually be without you know, a, a LinkedIn or a Facebook or an Instram. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, God forbid if the, if the general millennials of this time didn't have Instagram oh for a month. Oh, yeah, that, that's <laughs> it'd be a, horrible. It'd be horrible because I think uh, LinkedIn makes things easier. From at least from what this is from my this is just my perspective, yeah. my opinion. Um, the reason I think that is that because you know I feel like if you don't have LinkedIn, if you don't have any social media profiles, I feel like you're gonna have to accept that it's gonna get difficult for you to network. Yes. And you have to go the extra mile in networking with people. And you're gonna have to accept it at some point. But um, it's it's tricky because you know, when you we don't have LinkedIn, I mean, you always know people who always know people and then they also know people and they right. know can always help you get something. Standard model. Yeah, right. standard model, yeah. And, um, but yeah, you just have to go the extra mile. And that's the thing, 
because you know if you if you don't have any social media profiles if you don't have any way of reaching out to people easily i feel like there's time there's a bit of you 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 should be spending time on honing your craft instead right. maybe yeah. um instead of you know trying to meet meet more and more people again and again because when you eventually meet people and you meet the right person and they offer you a job like okay but still when you get the job you're still going to have to get the job done right you're still going to have to hone yeah. you, you're still going to have to do the job mm-hmm. so i think that's uh that's the way I see it. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's definitely possible that you can live without LinkedIn, but you just mm. have to accept that it's going to get a bit difficult. Yeah, you just need to work. On networking. You, you bring work up a different point. Literally, I was just going to sum that up by saying you have the yes. you have the decision to, yeah. you have the ability to make decisions. Mm-hmm. People can make decisions very easily in this world because it gets us in trouble. Mm-hmm. It's that a very small percentage of them understand what that decision entails for them. Whether that might be a little bit more effort, a little bit more creativity mm-hmm. all of those things you have the decision to make you are you okay with the outcome and are you okay with going forward with that decision right so dylan for example right let's use you for an example you said oh, I'm, i don't i'm not going to use linkedin for whatever and a certain amount of time mm-hmm. by dylan cognitively saying i don't need linkedin he's already done the hardest part is acknowledging that he wants to change something the second part is did he think about what he's going to do with that why? Why is he doing it? You know, when is he going to do it? Is there really a purpose and takeaway item? And, I, and I'm sure you got a takeaway from mm-hmm. it. But that is really what we need to do as human beings, right? Like, there's nothing else to say about it other than we can totally function without all of this stuff. We can function mm-hmm. with everything, without everything around us, right? It's what we then have to go ahead and do with that decision. That was an opportunity, opportunity cost. Usually. Yeah, for everything. Mm-hmm. For everything you do, because you have to see there's always things you're going to do. And then what, what are you sacrificing? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your process then when you're faced with a hard decision that could not just delete a LinkedIn or uh, like something really life altering? What what process do you go through when you're sort of mulling over decisions like that? I think that the best thing that I do, um, I'm going to take like a pilot approach to this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, pilots are really taught to aviate, navigate, communicate. And uh, that's really it. It's just kind of address the problem uh, up front. So the first thing is, what's the first thing you got to do is is fly the plane. So the first thing you do is fly the plane, is, is steer the ship. So so, okay. so keep surviving. And that's in a mental sense? And that's in a mental and physical state. So let, let's okay. say you're, you know, you're, I don't know, you're, you sit down in an exam. Mm-hmm. You read the first question. This has happened to everybody, probably. You read the first question after you've written your name morning. down. You know, <laughs> put, yeah, like put your bubble, bubble in your student number, and you read the first question, and you're like, "Cool, I didn't study any of this." Uh-oh. So now you're in an, an ad, you know adversity level twelve, mm-hmm. right? So what do you do? You there's two, two, two there's two types of people. There's the people that'll stick on that question until they open up that box somewhere in their brain and find the answer or there's two which is probably what i would take which would be you just keep moving forward and you go to the next one Mm -hmm. so that would be like your aviate that would be like i I, i'm okay i've lost my engine power Mm -hmm. and i have to land yeah where am i going to land right what's my power setting what altitude you know how many souls aboard do i have right these are all how much fuel do i have left you know and those are all kind of the aviate thing i'm going to hold the aircraft where it's where it's going you know the direction course any of these things the next thing is navigate. Where am I? Okay, so you're back to the exam example. Is you're now on the exam. Mm-hmm. You've now moved to the next question. Yeah. So don't worry about the first one. 
Now you're on the second context question. Oh, I get this. Okay, where are you? What what you know? What subject matter are you on? Where where are you? You know, th- again, I'm applying to this to very this very broad kind so, of problem. So kind of if I'm absorbing it properly, yeah. first step, right the ship. Make sure your mental state, physical state is it's controlled, in a, in, controlled, and in a place that you can operate from. Right. Second step, being figure out what the context of the problem is. Yes. So evaluate. Okay. Right. So let's, let's turn it into evaluate instead of navigate. So okay. evaluate would be, okay, you've, you're steady, you're holding course, mm-hmm. your tire blew out, you're holding the road straight. Yeah. Now you have to make a decision. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, do I, you know, do I pull over this side of the road? Is there someone on that? Is there a shoulder to pull off in? Mm-hmm. Is there something else in this exam? Is there an appendix table that mm-hmm. maybe is going to help me answer this question? These are all things that, once you've held the ship straight, kind of to what Dylan has said, you can then take some brain power and reallocate that to evaluate, right? So mm-hmm. what am I doing? Where am I? And what do I need to do? Mm-hmm. These are the critical parts. Step two is actually the, the most important part of adversity. Mm-hmm. And the, does, it, does that all make sense, first of yeah. all? So, yeah. I think that, so I think once you understand kind of where you're at, where your mental state's at, and you know that you're stable, mm-hmm. whatever that might be for people, mm-hmm. When you know you're stable in the issue, then you can start making decisions. Once you know that you can start making decisions because something is stable, Mm -hmm. then you can go to step three. Step three would be in flying, it would be communicate, or it would be what are your intentions? So now that you've held the ship straight, you've made made an assessment both physically, mentally, of what's kind of going on, you have some intention or you know what you need to do, whether Mm -hmm. it's answer the question, go to the appendix table, or, you know, ask your girlfriend what, you know, what you did wrong, for example. The third one is communicate that. Communicate your intentions, whether Mm -hmm. that's tell air traffic control you've lost an engine, you've had an engine failure five miles east of something, and this is where you're going to land. I have Mm -hmm. two souls aboard. This is how much fuel I have. This is my location. Maybe you have a GPS locator. You have a GPS location. Mm -hmm. All of these things. And then what are you, what are you going to do about it? Where are you going to go? What is your intention afterwards? Maybe now you'll okay, tell yourself, okay, cool. I know I need to go to the appendix table, get this number for this formula. Mm-hmm. So now you go to the appendix table and you get that number and then you go back to that number and you solve it. You use it in the formula and you solve it. All it took was for you to evaluate where you were at by first just saying, okay, I have a problem. I need to solve it. Mm-hmm. And then that's it. That it's, it's a three-step process, at least for me. And I think that's helped me. I mean, it, it's kind of what you're taught very early on in your flying, flying, flying kind of flying teachings and then i i've kind of applied it to everything it's just evaluating the problem you know acknowledging that you need to hold stable regardless mm-hmm. of where you're at evaluating what needs to happen or where you're at mm-hmm. and what that intention needs to be to correct the path the path forward and then communicating it whether that's to people whether you know let's let's take a business aspect you got to communicate things to your team your your boss mm-hmm. your your subordinates your cross-functional teams if you don't communicate you can't do the feedback loop, which is actually go ahead and do it. The feedback loop is so important. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. And is, is, is that something that you do automatically now? Or was it something you had to learn? Was it trained? Is it, is it something you gain from a lot of reps? Or is it just something that you, it's, it's not knee jerk and you need to consciously think about it as you're doing it? It was probably something that I had, I've been doing since I was younger. Okay. Really? Okay. But I never knew what it was. 
So I mean subconsciously in the fact that it could never put words to it. Hmm. Okay. So it's something that like I, I guess that, you know, maybe my father taught me very early on, which was, you know, evaluating a problem more than what's just in front of you, right? It's kind of that like survivorship bias, mm-hmm. which is where you look at everything that's survived rather than what hasn't survived, because that's actually where the problem is. In so what survived? Yeah, survivorship bias okay. is where, for example, you look. So, so uh, Abraham Ward was a was a Jewish mathematician, mm-hmm. World War II, for the U.S. Air Force, and at the time they had a diagram that they gave him, and you know they were like, hey, you, you know, we we want to f- solve these problems with our airplanes, mm-hmm. and they said all of these. Here's a diagram of our C forty seven aircraft, and all of these red dots on it are planes that came back with damage. We want to reinforce those areas. Mm-hmm makes sense right so Abraham Ward said well it makes no sense for us to strengthen the areas of the planes that came back we should strengthen the areas that don't have a red dot because those are the planes that didn't come home figure out what went wrong right so rather than address the problem which is probably what 98% of the percentile of people would do which is okay well I'm looking at what's in front of me rather than saying what actually is the problem well we're still losing airplanes okay so the data points right in front of us. We know which ones did. Mm-hmm. So if you remove the ones that are obviously in front of you, which are the ones that survived, obviously the airplane can work with those, with that damage. Huh. So that, that so then the really the, the the solution is we should strengthen the areas of the areas that don't have any red dots on it, because if we don't have those data points, that means that airplane didn't make it back, or it didn't get damaged in that area. On a practical example yeah. of like yourself, yeah. How do you take the fish out of the fishbowl and, and show him or uh, try to take him out of the water? So he, like, how, how, how do you self-analyze that? And how do you use the survivorship bias to... I, I've used... Uh, I, I kind of see what you're saying. I, yeah. I think the for me, I've always worked by eliminating the, the, the obvious right like working through that that root cause kind of tree form method right like don't don't grasp at branches right but look mm-hmm. at all the branches right so if you imagine that there's a problem in front of you and i use this at work all the time is mm-hmm. w- the first question is always what is the problem you know whether that's someone telling me oh my god this doesn't work or something's going on it's doing something weird okay what have you tried or what have i tried what have i tried before mm-hmm. Because if I still have the problem, then it means it's something that I've never encountered or I'm, I've forgotten something. Hopefully I haven't forgotten something, but that's also a possibility. Mm-hmm. I would say the third step from that is once you've kind of asked those questions is what have I not potentially tried or don't want to try? Because maybe there's a safety factor. Maybe there's a reason I can't try something. Mm-hmm. And so you you kind of work to understand those things before you just do them. The, the, the mistake that a lot of people make is they just do mm-hmm. and they don't document. They don't, they don't write something down. They, they just do things because they think that's how we're going to solve it. Right. That, that firefighting approach mm-hmm. works in some cases often than not does not. Mm-hmm. Right. So, okay. I, I've, I've got a problem. Something's not working. I've tried what I usually know or what usually works in the past, but now it's, it doesn't. Right. I, I figure this is probably where you're going mm-hmm. with this. Right. So yeah. now it's not doing what I, and I really am lost at this point. Okay, so now we go into kind of first principles thinking. Mm-hmm. So do let's say I'm alone. Do I know what's the history on this? Do I know someone that might know something more about this, right? Calling for help is probably the next step. I mean, really, I mean, everybody needs help. 
Some mm-hmm. people need help on some things because mm-hmm. you know what? If it's an easy problem and you know that there's someone out there that knows the problem to this because they've done it six thousand times, why would you? Why would you? Why would you sit there and, yeah. and let the fire burn? Right? Mm-hmm. Like someone else has to has probably done this before, mm-hmm. and that's again that's how you make mentorships and that's how yeah. you make friendships. Right? Somebody that's helped solve a problem that you've gone through and mm-hmm. they can help you solve it faster. Why? Because that's continuous improvement and that's what everybody should want to do. Mm-hmm. So that's probably like the you know can someone help me? Because if someone can help me, then we can all learn together and we can solve a problem together. Mm-hmm. That creates teams right. and trust, right? Mm-hmm. So now let's say nobody's done this before. Now we're in a real problem. Now we're like, now we don't know what's the right path forward. Then that's the next question. How do we get on the corrective path forward? Is this, you know, do we have to turn something off? Do we have to kill power to something? Do we have to delete something? Do we have to crash it intentionally so that we can stop its repetitive process or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And from there, how do we, what have we not done? Kind of what I, what I said earlier, right? What, what have we never tried? Now it's time to put that on a list and try. Mm-hmm. So let's get our process map flow here and let's go with step one. Okay. Well, have we, have we pulled the prints on this? Have we, I'm using again, engineering example here, but like, are are we looking at, you know, is there documentation on something? Is there previous history on it? Is Mm -hmm. there, uh, something right in front of us that could tell us how to shut it down? Has someone, Mm -hmm. you know, dealt with it kind of like what I said before, can someone help? Mm -hmm. And I think the, the next part is once you're trying those things is again, the feedback loop when you're doing things in troubleshooting, what are you doing to make sure you don't do it again? Are you, you know, did you try something? Did it change? No. Okay, well, write that down anyways. So being you, intentional with it. Yeah, so it's kind of using that, like, PID approach, right? Like, yeah. go, sorry, I'm, like, pulling the control <laughs> system stuff. <laughs> here, right? it's, it's like, it's, yeah. it's, it's we take those those amplitudes and, we, and we, we measure them and then we correct them by putting in small systematic changes. That's the only way I can really think of saying that, right? Mm-hmm. Is we make course corrections by mm-hmm. actively troubleshooting. The one thing that we talk about a lot uh, on my teams is active troubleshooting, not mm-hmm. troubleshooting. And this is not troubleshooting just for problems. This is troubleshooting in things in life. A lot of people can sit and, and talk about what's going wrong and, and mm-hmm. things that they think or they think is wrong or what they want to ponder as a solution. Just try. Try try to do something differently than you did before and see what happens. Actively engage yourself in what's happening. Mm-hmm. What are the guys doing? Okay, well they're 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 pulling apart. They're 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 putting this together. They're replacing this. Why? Because we believe this is the the right path forward. Mm-hmm. We know what the problem is. We know what the right corrective action is going forward to get this back to the, some standard level that we were originally at. And what do we believe is the root cause? And and how and then the originally after you get this back to the way it was mm-hmm. is what's our takeaway item? That's mm-hmm. the that's my favorite part is the root cause and analysis and and the takeaway point. How how do we prevent this from happening again? Just and keep that asking can, why and why. Yeah, you, you yeah. ask the five whys, right? Like the, the whole manufacturing yep. thing is we ask mm-hmm. ourselves yeah. the five whys. But but I think to take the more personal approach is mm-hmm. just ask yourself how you what did you take away from that? What did you learn? Mm-hmm. Right, you know, all of us had or have had at some point. Our parents have asked us, "What did you learn oh, yeah. from this?" Yeah. Ask yourself that every single day. Why did you do this? Why did I do that? And document. And just document everything. Yeah. I've, I've told I've told Dylan this hundreds of times. Yeah. Just write it down. Mm-hmm. That's so true.